Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even that he will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know why. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is small, lest plant you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade." With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Put your hands together again for Kathy. It is a blessing to me to have different voices up here reading a scripture before we, we dive in together and uh, but yet, it's a joy to be back uh, after uh, getting, a, getting a week off. Thanks to Pastor Tyler for holding it down, teaching the scriptures, and um, th- thankful for Bob and the team up here uh, as we're kind of waiting. Uh, many of you got the letter. We're waiting a, a new worship director, director of worship and communications is the new, new title. Ryan Marsh is going to be joining us as soon as housing can be figured out. And uh, just love that our church family can come together even in, in the meantime and, uh, and just worship together. I love the, the songs and celebrate Holy Week. Um, this this past week, as Camille and I reflected, we uh, we just clicked over uh, the first. Uh, well, in the summer, we celebrated early to get to the beach earlier. Um, uh, but we'll celebrate ten years of marriage. And uh, which, hey, thanks. That's very kind of you. Uh, I'm a little, honestly, a little shy to say to say that, just because we got some like marriage heavy hitters in in the room. Uh, Mark and Julie Large did a, a half a century earlier uh, th- this year, and they got, they got away. Um, and I talked to uh, Janet and Conrad Cooper. They're clicking over 60 coming up, I think the summer they said. So that's impressive. And then I was visiting with Rosemary and Paul Vestal a few weeks ago or a month or so ago, uh, and they are doing seven, I think they might have already crossed over 70 years of marriage. Uh, so, yeah, you see why I'm shy to talk about 10, <laughs> 10 measly years. Uh, I'm thankful for those 10 years. I love, I'm love. i not trying to undermine them or whatever. But, uh, so, yeah, I love that that's a legacy of marriage here in, in our church family. Um, one thing that Camille and I found ourselves talking a lot about uh, this past week as we reflected on a decade together was just, like, the the depth and breadth and just 
uh, complexity and layers of, of what it means to be married, like how all the different aspects of what the experience of being husband and wife is really like, you know, how, how, how hard it is to do it justice in words. Um, you know, I could say she's my best friend, uh, but she's more than that. She's my, my romantic partner and she's the mother of my children and we, my, my co-parent as we are shaping these little little souls in our house every day. And she's the person that knows me at my worst and knows most vividly the particular story of redemption that God is working out in my own life. And of course, I, I'm the same for her. She's uh, my life business partner. You know, I mean, you think about what it takes to be a family, like we're maintaining a home and running a daycare and, you know, managing vehicles and a budget and, you know, all that stuff. Of course, we, you know, we drive Hondas, so it's not hard to manage those because they keep, they keep on going. Um, but what is marriage like? With what can we compare it? What parable could give shape and texture? And in some sense, all those terms that I just said, a friend, a romantic partner, a, a, a co-parent, a business partner, those are all like many parables because uh, she's, she's more than a friend. She's my lover, but she's more than a lover. She's my life partner. She's... And then I go into all that because this is what we see Jesus doing today. He's trying to uh, articulate something that's so big and beautiful and complex and layered and nuanced uh, that you can't just come out with a nugget, like a tweet style, you know, definition or explanation that captures it. And it's the kingdom of God. Jesus is trying to unpack what Marcus summarized as his main message, which is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this gospel is good news. And so he's using parables to describe the kingdom, parts or aspects or different truths about what the kingdom is like. And no one parable captures the whole thing. We have this whole collection of Jesus's teachings uh, about the parable, about the kingdom, parables about the kingdom that um, can be, that if we have ears to hear these parables, they can be these beautiful words to savor for our entire lives, our entire lives as Jesus followers. We can just chew on and meditate, crawl into these stories and parables and metaphors of the kingdom, um, you know, like diamonds that we behold from different angles, different facets, or like, like knots of wisdom that over a course of our lives, we can kind of like pick at and un untease out and loosen and apply to our lives in different ways in different seasons. Uh, parables are a big deal, and we're, we're here smack in the middle or, you know, getting close to the middle of Mark, and so I just wanted to do three things this morning as we look at parables. Uh, we'll do an overview of parables, why Jesus used them, how to interpret them, and then we're going to teach through the parables that are in our text and then end with an invitation that I think is straight from the text. So that's uh, where we're going this morning, and the main idea kind of over, over the details of these parables is that intimacy with Jesus brings enlightenment. Intimacy with Jesus brings enlightenment. If you want wisdom, insight, understanding of the glorious things that, that God uh, would, that, of who God is and how he would transform you into the fullest, truest, truest version of yourself, then it will require deep, unhurried, intimacy with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. 
What I'm trying to do here is to kind of marry, bridge the, the gap between uh, emotion, relationship in our spiritual lives, and then our heads and teaching and facts and information. And we see that these, are in, uh, these come together in the person of Jesus, uh, where, where there's intimacy, there's emotion, there's relational connection, trust, uh, and, and then there's teaching, there's truth, there, there's facts, there's information uh, that, that comes. And if you separate either of those, there's entire churches that major in just one of the, I'm sorry, there's a bit, excuse me, that just major in one of those things, you know, just like kind of touchy-feely churches that would maybe downplay some of the truth or doctrine or information. And then, you know, head on a stick churches where it's just all about what you know, and it doesn't matter what you feel or anything. It's just, just about information. We want to see that all those come together and parables help us do that. So to begin, why did Jesus use parables? Well, it's good to note that Jesus is not the inventor of parables. They were a common form of teaching in Jesus's day, used by lots of other types of teachers and rabbis, and they were meant to illustrate and draw attention to, to deeper truths uh, through observations about normal life. They're normal, normal observations as you're going about your day that show deeper meaning, kind of meaning behind the meaning that would help people connect with the, connect with the teaching and it would also serve as reminders. You know, in, in our case of the, the parables we're looking at today, you know, if you see someone sowing seeds, planting, planting a crop, you can be reminded of Jesus's parable. Or you see uh, a mustard seed in the garden, or even put some mustard on your hot dog later today, you can, you can be reminded of Jesus's parable. And the fact that the parables are, a, are little stories or metaphors that are a little ambiguous or nuanced is actually on purpose. Actually, part of the strength of this form of teaching, speaking in parables, is that they, they have some nuance and ambiguity to them, but which is a hard, might be a hard pill for some of us to swallow because in our day and age, we, I'd say we generally, we value you know, clear, concise, to the point kind of direct transfer of information. Give me the bottom line, the highlights, just tell me like it is. I mean, and I try to do that in sermons. I, I, I try to be clear in sermons. Here's the main idea. Here's the three questions we're going to look at. Like, it's not bad to do that. Clarity is good, but clarity can be limited and even reductionistic, reducing big, glorious, beautiful things into just little soundbite, snippet, tweet-level nuggets and, and miss the full beauty. We reduce the fullness into something small just for the sake of being clear. Like I would be hard pressed to come up with a super clear one-liner about who Camille is to me as my wife. It's so much bigger, so much broader. And the kingdom of God is like that. It doesn't fit into nuggets. And so the beauty of parables is that they resist being reductionistic. They, they res, resist being reduced to something that's uh, it, it, un, only part of the whole. And then they invite people who have ears to hear to enter the story and think about it, ask questions, chew on and meditate. The Hebrew word for meditate, uh, it, it comes from the same root of chew. But you can kind of even see like masticate is a, a connection in English where we... we enter into it and really marinate in what we feel uh, in the image of the parable, which is the third thing. Parables requires, par to really dive into parables, it requires humility 
enough to be curious. It requires us to be humble enough to, to be curious, to ask questions. I mean, in some ways, we could probably do an entire Sunday morning teaching on the connection between humility and curiosity, uh, but we don't have time. But parables typically annoy, speaking for a friend, a type A, get stuff done kind of person who's prone to hurry, which honestly is, was how I was for a lot of my life. Jesus and his teaching always kind of confused me and bothered me. Like, why is it any more clear? Why, why is this so ambiguous? And for most of my years in seminary, I was way more interested in the letters of Paul because they're way more like uh, cognitive, they're succinct and doctrinal and matter of fact, and you can build systematic theologies out of them. Uh, and we, we need those. They're part of the whole teachings of scripture and all that. But for me, Jesus and his teachings, the parables, what was a, a acquired taste. It required me to slow down, to humble myself and not have the quick right answer but I've grown to savor and love this acquired taste. Uh, it required me to open up some of my tight, tidy, answer-seeking, systematic thinking and, and just receive from Jesus, kind of enter in with a different part of my brain. And so in that sense, parables are somewhat of a filter. There's they're somewhat of a, of a hoop to jump through because if someone really wants to learn from Jesus, really wants to, as Mark said in chapter one, repent and believe the gospel, like turn from what you thought you knew and learn and live a different way, then we have to be willing to be confused, to ask questions, to slow down, to really chew on what Jesus is saying, which is really to say to let him be the king, to let him be Lord, to let him be the expert and to acknowledge that we are his apprentices, that we're his students, that we don't know and we need to be taught. And so, there's some good news in this, if you have ears to hear. Like if you read the parables and you're like, I don't get it. This is kind of annoying and frustrating. That's fine. The real question, there's space for that. And you see that his disciples doing that in the text. The real question is, are you willing to sit with the parable for the rest of your life and allow it to take on more depth and meaning as the Holy Spirit kind of works it into your heart and mind and soul and body? So that's the why, some of the why Jesus taught in parables. Let's, next, let's consider how. How do we understand parables? How are we going to try to interpret, interpret them accurately? The first is to find out what the main point is. When you come to a parable, generally it's meant to teach one main idea. Sometimes the main idea might have a couple of different parts, depending on how long it is, how many different characters or whatever are going on. But parables, as a general rule, have one central teaching concept right at the, at the middle of it. And this is important because there are ways of interpreting parables that kind of drift off into the allegory route, which is to say like a story is an allegory, so it's got all these different meanings and you have to kind of decode it, which is typically not the best way to interpret parables. That's not how parables were used by teachers back in Jesus's day and age. So for example, the prodigal son a parable that Jesus teaches about a son who leaves and comes back to the father. The, 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 the father gives the son three things, a new cloak and a ring and a banquet. And an allegory viewpoint would be like, what does each one mean? And what, what is the ring in your life? And what is the cloak? And you know, and he kind of breaks it down. He can get into the weeds that way because those three things are really just meant to point out the main point of, of the parable. 
which is the, the extravagant grace and acceptance and celebration of the son's repentance and reception by the father. You see what I'm saying about allegory? Like we don't have to the, the, like make charts and graphs. We, instead, we let the parable flesh out the one main point. It keeps us from getting in the weeds, getting into goofy things. And the second thing, there's more, obviously more we could say, is to consider stock imagery. What are common images or symbols that would have been common to Jesus's hearers in that day and age, in that culture? A modern example of this would be cartoons in a newspaper that show a donkey and an elephant interacting in humorous or offensive ways, depending on your political view. I tried to find a happy picture uh, on the internet of a donkey and elephant, and it's actually a stock photo, stock image, so you just got a little like trademark thing. Hopefully I don't get in trouble. Um, but one of my seminary professors would invite a student from a different country uh, to come up and interpret a picture of a donkey and an elephant. And it was always really funny because they didn't know the context, that the donkey represented the Democratic Party and the elephant represented the Republican Party because it requires cultural context. Uh, and Jesus, being a brilliant, creative, culturally savvy teacher, so often uses stock images like this, symbols that would have had connections to Jewish culture, and in particular, the Old Testament. So we, we allow the Old Testament to weigh heavily in how we interpret Jesus's teachings and the parables. And so there are stock images in Jesus's parables that we'll see today that are kind of like a hyperlink that instantly bring to mind deeper biblical meaning from the Old Testament. There you go, hermeneutics class. Biblical interpretation class is over. You can take your seminary hats off now. But hopefully that, that's some, some rails to run on as you read the Gospels in your own quiet time, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark and how to understand parables. So let's practice this and dive into the parables that we have in our text today. Look at verses 21 and 22 in Mark 4. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So here we have a mini parable about a lamp. And I love that it's like a whole parable in one question. And I appreciate that Jesus does some explanation right there. The, 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 the main idea, the main concept is that a lamp is meant to be displayed. Something hidden is only hidden for a time and it will be brought out into the open. And now we have to chew on and consider what would the lamp be? What's being hidden? Well, in the context of chapter four, it's coming right after the parable of the sower uh, talking about the word of God being sown. And then we have two more kingdom parables. And so the lamp is the, the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus, who is God with us, is proclaiming that life with God under his rule is at hand and it's available. That's his message. And he's, he's giving a parable that, that shows, the little mini parable that says it might seem uh, hidden or concealed, but it won't be for long. If it seems secret or hidden, it won't be for long. And look at verse 23. And 24 and 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is confusing. But it is Jesus warning and exhorting people to listen carefully. Not just to hear casually, 
but really listen. I think we all know in our own lives that there's a difference between someone hearing you and someone truly listening to you. You know, like you've been in the room where someone's technically there and their ears are technically picking up the sounds that you're making, but they're not listening. You know, maybe they're, they're Apple Watch beings or they're just tired and, and zoning or, or something like that and they're not really listening. And Jesus is inviting people to receive the parables as teachings to truly listen to and receive. And he says, whatever measure of attention you give his teaching, it will be blessed and multiplied and given back to you with more attention and understanding. But if you just kind of, if you're just kind of quick and hurried as you interact with Jesus, not willing to do the work of wrestling with scripture, then what he's saying is that even what you start out having will be taken away from you. This is that filtering process of the parables. The only way Jesus and his word and scripture as a whole can be sweet and life-giving is if we're willing to listen carefully and humbly and unhurriedly. Otherwise, we'll come to scripture and it'll just, you know, the, the cultural gap between us and 2,000 years ago and all the different things going on and it will just be annoying and frustrating and tedious and scripture might just seem out of date and sexist or racist or whatever other thing it can be because we might start to judge scripture and a cursory glance at scripture by the world's value rather than letting scripture judge the world by God's value. After this warning, we have two parables. Let me just read through them here. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So what is this parable? What are these two parables about? Not a trick question. Anybody? I kind of embarrassed you guys the last sermon I preached with a trick question. This is an trick question. What are the sermons or what are the parables about? Seed, yes. Well, what does he say? What does he say the intro is? The kingdom. Yeah. He, yeah. He gives us, he's like, what, what is this going to be about? It's going to be about the kingdom. So right off on the bat, he tells us what the, it's trying to show us one point, one main idea about the kingdom. And it's so beautiful that it takes multiple parables and he teaches in this counter, counterintuitive way to show us that there's something counterintuitive about the kingdom. And as I chewed on these parables, it, they kind of made me laugh because it almost seems like Jesus is trying to do, is trying to do this like bait and switch, this like setup. Because he starts out like, what is the kingdom of God like? Like a big setup. And then he under delivers. For a first century Jew, hearing the introduction, the kingdom of God is like, they, they would be bracing themselves for something epic, something really exciting and awe-inspiring. But instead, Jesus says these simple things. The kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing seeds. Or 
the, the smallest seed that, that we have. Common, unimpressive things, which is part of the main point of both of these parables. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not first and foremost about shock and awe, hype and flash and power. He could have said the kingdom of God is like a tsunami that is unstoppable. The kingdom of God is like a volcano. Redemption lava will spread over the entire earth. No, he's intentionally trying to help us enter into the reality of what the kingdom of God is like, what the nature or essence of the kingdom of God. And it's quiet, slow, unassuming. Now let's talk about the man scattering seeds. We can look at where the action is happening, where the emphasis and explanations are added to help us get to the main point. Because the focus of the parable is the growth of the plant apart from the man. The emphasis is that night and day, whether the man sleeps or gets up, the seed is doing its thing and he doesn't know how it's doing. I love this parable. Definitely, maybe my favorite, definitely in the top three. Because the truth that Jesus is showing us about the kingdom of God is that the real power is not directly in our hands, is not directly in human hands. God's brilliance and his design for creation, which is not an accident, is that the basic elements of nature, like a seed growing, show us ultimate realities of how God works, which is that he has set up things to happen apart from humans. Real power in the kingdom of God is not directly in human hands. Can enter into the parable. What can a farmer do directly with his hands to make a seed grow? Nothing. Everything a farmer does around the seed is, is just to help the seed do what seeds do. It's, it's, not, it's indirect. It's soil cultivation. It's planting in the ground. It's watering, whatever. He sows it, and then the beautiful God-ordained process of creation does its job to produce a plant that can be turned into bread and sustain life. And this shows us how humans relate, a very crucial understanding of how humans relate to the kingdom of God. And it gets, it, I think it gets at all of us, wherever we are personality-wise. Because people like me who love to do things, love to work and contribute and be busy, it's beautiful. It's encouraging. Hey, there, there is something. The man does something, right? He's scattering seeds, he's swinging a sickle. Humans have an indirect role to play in the kingdom of God. But it's also very convicting. It humbles us from any sense of God complex that we can bring the kingdom that like we, you and I, can lock arms to bring the kingdom. Which is a danger. Some churches talk like that. So the point of the parable is the kingdom is growing and it's coming, whether we're sleeping or we're getting up. The main idea of this parable is that working and waiting, to put it into two words, working and waiting are key ways, key elements of how we interact with the kingdom of God in our, right now, in our daily lives. We work and we wait. We have a limited range of things that are in our power to do in participating in the kingdom of God. We obey them and we do them. And then we wait. Night and day, we sleep, we rise, we eat, we drink, we work, we rest. And we're waiting for the day when the harvest will be ready. There's waiting and hoping, this desire for the harvest that you think about what the harvest would have been in an agrarian society like all the work all the waiting all the hope all the anxiety like will the crop come in will we have enough food for winter will i be able to you know pay back 
the store for the seed, you know, all this hope. Uh, and then it comes and there's abundance and celebration and harvest parties. And Jesus is giving a detailed image of swinging the sickle in the time of harvest. That's a stock image from Jeremiah, or Joel 3, 13, uh, where it says that, that line almost verbatim. And in the context of Joel, it's talking about the day of the Lord. When God will come to judge the earth, make all things right, work out his righteousness and justice forever. That's what we're waiting for. That's the kingdom come. Jesus on his throne forever with righteousness and justice. And so we work and we wait. And the kind of waiting that I'm talking about is really, you could say, another way to, to say prayer. What's one of the first things Jesus taught us when he's explaining how to pray? That God's kingdom would come. Your will be done on earth, your kingdom come on earth as it is for heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying and waiting for it. It's not a passive waiting. It's not a just Netflix and chill and wait for Jesus to come do it. Instead, we are waiting for it actively, praying, joining God in the work by praying and waiting for it. I love uh, a lot of the monastic traditions in Christianity. My favorite flavor of monks are the Benedictines. whose life centered on St. Benedict. And they, they kind of, the rule of St. Benedict is based on this phrase, ora et labora, which means prayer and work. Prayer and work, work and prayer. Prayer is work and work is prayer. And I love that. Those two things will ground us in God's reality of the kingdom. will provide helpful explanations that will allow us to experience, I think, a lot of the peace that God meant us to have. Because we won't grow lazy and lethargic, bored with idle hands that become, what do idle hands become? What did your grandma tell you? The devil's workshop because we're not awake. You know, there's another parable about, uh, you know, the, the virgins with the lamps waiting for the bridegroom and not being prepared, not staying awake. We'll be active. We won't, we won't grow idle and bored and lazy, fat Christians. We also won't grow anxious, bittered, hurried, frazzled, angry, you know, because we got to do it. You know, we feel this God complex of needing to bring the kingdom because nowhere does it tell us to bring the kingdom. Instead, the Bible tells us to love our neighbor and pray for his will to be done in our neighborhood on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the wisdom? Do you see the human flourishing in a lifetime of like soaking on this parable and other parables? Like we we won't grow uh, idle and we won't be stressed and over anxious. And The mustard seed parable shows us another angle of the kingdom of God. Again, it's not impressive. It doesn't start off with hype and excitement. It's a small, slow build. Camille and I have been into gardening for a while now, and I'm always struck by that experience at the beginning of the spring where we normally do a big day or a big weekend of you getting everything set and tilled and planted and compost and everything in, and then it's done, like the garden's planted. And after doing all that, like last year, we even set up a little irrigation system because I'm a wannabe farmer nerd. And we do it all and we, and we look back and what do we have? We have a rectangle of dirt in the ground and, not, you know, and, and, and nothing. It's like the most amount of work and there's just nothing to show for it. But after a little while, shoots come up and it seems like every year there's like a, a day or two where just it gets hot enough and we can't see the dirt anymore. Everything's leafy and green. The kingdom starts small and unoppressive. There's work to do to get it planted. 
Uh, and then there's waiting. Mustard was an annual crop uh, back then, a commentator said, which meant you had to plant it every year. So it went from seed to plant every year. Uh, and it goes from being a tiny seed to being a very large plant uh, with an impressive amount of growth each growing season. And I think this, this parable, this, this explanation of the kingdom of God could be an encouraging word for us here in our church family in this season that we're in with a lot of transitions, uh, some uh, longtime staff retiring, Carrie wrapping up 30 years, three decades of faithful work, and we got new staff joining and all the transition and onboarding that happens with that. It feels like we're in a mustard seed season. Like we're just, we, you know, we're, we're, we're simplifying and things seem small and unimpressive uh, as we all hope to see harvest. We all hope to see growth. But if we can view it like small little seeds, there's some work that we can do together and then we can wait, let God do the growth, see what God will do in our church family and our faithful working and praying. Uh, I think that, that, that will be helpful to adjust our expectations and hopefully give us hope to do the work and to do the waiting. The stock image in this parable of the mustard seed is at the end when it talks about birds perching in its shade, finding shelter in this plant. That points back to language in Ezekiel and a couple other places in the prophets where that was a common expression uh, for describing kingdoms of the earth. Uh, the, the plant would be the kingdom of the earth and then uh, the, the birds would represent other nations coming to find refuge and shelter and resources in other kingdoms. And this is a shout out to the reality that God's kingdom will be the ultimate and final kingdom. And it'll be a kingdom where every tribe, tongue, and nation will have a place, a kingdom that offers refuge, not just to its type of people or ethnicity, but to all who would come to it. As God's kingdoms grow, as God's kingdom grows, it exists to welcome others in, to offer the refuge of God uh, to others. A key mark of the kingdom of God is hospitality, welcoming outsiders. And this is a prayer, prayer I know for a lot of us here at the church, that we would continue to grow to be a place where all types of people can have a place and belong. All different colors and backgrounds and nationalities and languages and uh, can find refuge and belonging and be able to participate in the life of our, our family, the life of the kingdom of God that we have in our little outpost of the kingdom here in Northland. Finally, let's look at the invitation. And the invitation, I think, is straight from our text in the last sentence where it says in verse 34, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. When he was alone with his disciples, I hope, you had fun. I love talking about parables. We had fun, this little drive-by of these three parables. Um, I think it's great to just marinate on, the, on what they show us about the kingdom of God, but it probably felt like drinking from a water hose. Like there's a lot going on. There's more we could have said about them. And so I, I hope that this walk was enough to whet your appetite. It was a brief walk. And the specific application for us in response to Jesus as a teacher who teaches in parables uh, is, is, is going to require us to get alone with Jesus and let him walk us deeper. Because the specific application for you, for your life, about what it might mean to work and wait, like the first parable shows us, might take some more noodling and chewing on, on the parable, listening to the Holy Spirit. 
or maybe how, how you need to embrace the hope that comes from planting a tiny little seed in the ground and what, what that needs to, how that needs to speak to a certain part of your life. It's gonna require you to get alone with Jesus as his disciple, as his apprentice, and let him explain everything to you. I don't, maybe that'll happen the first time. Maybe it'll happen, you know, uh, maybe it'll, it'll never fully happen. But the main idea, again, is that intimacy with Jesus brings enlightenment. And Jesus taught and did his ministry in a way to invite those who had ears to hear, to draw near and experience intimacy, to grow and deeper in understanding. So that's the application. Get alone with Jesus. And the way that happens for you and I is through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, uh, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I still wrestle with this, but Jesus said it's to our benefit that he leaves and goes to the Father because then the Father will send this, the Holy Spirit, this advocate, this helper. It's because you and I can be with Jesus in his presence. The Holy Spirit is the presence of, of Jesus. We can, we can bring our questions to him and we can listen to him, hear what God would say to us about his word, what his word might mean for us in particular areas of our lives. Getting alone with Jesus could look many different ways, but just consider starting your day with some time with Jesus, waking up at a time when you could have enough space to be unhurried and alone and quiet with Jesus. Make a cup of coffee, get cozy, open your Bible. As you open your Bible, there's no pressure on you. You come to scripture, curious and humble, asking the Holy Spirit to, to teach you. Lead me, open my eyes and my heart. And since we're going through Mark on Sundays, I'd encourage you to jump into uh, this Bible reading plan that we put on the book table. There's a, a little bookmark that has like a four-step process and then a reading plan through Mark. Uh, it's, you could call it a meditative reading plan. It's a little bit different than maybe what you've experienced where instead of maybe trying to read as much as you can for 20 or 30, many chapters as possible for 20 or 30 minutes, you just read a, a very short passage for the same amount of time. You know, 20 or 30 minutes on just a, a few verses or a paragraph and journal out what comes to mind. Sit with it in the quiet and ask questions to the Holy Spirit right after you read. Um, journaling is, is huge. Uh, the huge way to kind of jumpstart the ability to listen, to get your questions out on paper. Or maybe you read it and you're just like, I got nothing. And writing out the passage, when you read a shorter passage, you can even just write it out in your own handwriting. And I won't get into the neuroscience, but that's a really great way to get stuff into you, into your body. And I think that's, that's one way that it could look like to be careful how you hear, to be, to be careful how you hear. Sometimes life is crazy and we just blaze through, you know, a devotional or scan a passage on our phone and that's okay. Like get scripture however you can. I, I, I get it. I have little kids and my job, we, life is crazy. But hopefully, you know, that's not the primary way that we set up our lives to connect with God. I mean, if Camille and I in our marriage were just, was just like a quick, you know, five-minute check-in every morning, then we, our relationship would not be very rich or deep. The vision of discipleship that Jesus gives us is that we can set up our lives to have this slow, unhurried time with him. Listen carefully. Allow his teaching by the power of the Spirit to sink into our minds and hearts. 
so that the mustard seed of the kingdom could take root even in our own hearts and grow large over time. Grow to the point where the defining vision of what a good life looks like comes from Jesus and not Netflix series or a Facebook feed or the news, but instead comes from the Lord of life. I know many of you are already in this rhythm, starting or ending your days with time with Jesus. And so just, I would encourage you to come to that time with this verse, with verse 34 in your mind, like, Jesus, I want to be alone with you as your disciple. I, I need you to teach me to be my teacher. And this might be a little too out there for some of you, so feel free to ignore it. But one thing that's been so fruitful for me in my time alone with Jesus is I actually imagine him in the room with me, like sitting across the room on the couch or the other side of the kitchen table or something like that as I open the scriptures. And, and like I'm with him, like because he lives in my body. The Holy Spirit lives in my body and I journal out my thoughts and questions to him. Getting that intimacy, that relationship into <clears throat> our time in the scriptures. Blending learning, <clears throat> information, and an intimate relationship. Coming to scripture to be with Jesus alongside just trying to get more Bible trivia facts to blow our friends' minds in Sunday school. I just want to say, maybe some of us here today, you've been in church a long time, and if you're honest, you, you are where I've been a lot of my life, where Jesus just seems weird and confusing and way out there. And you're just like, why are you so abstract? And you could just be way clearer, Jesus. Uh, let me just say, friend, being honest about that, like God's not mad at you for feeling that way about Jesus. Coming home to that truth will set you free to where you can come to Jesus in that honesty, not faking it and saying, I don't really get this or like this. I, like, I need you to be the king and open up my heart and soften my heart. Because listen, he who laid down his life for you knew all, all your sin. While you were a sinner, he died for you. He, you don't have to fake it. He will receive you with love and grace when you come curiously, humbly, seeking to draw your life into his and to be taught. So you can flourish in the words of Psalm 1, like a tree beside streams of water producing fruit in season for his glory and your joy. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for a king, for just the extravagance of this moment where we could just give this time to his teaching, to these parables, that we could slow down and just chew on what, uh, on the, the bread of life, what he said, what he did. Father, I pray for just a, a spirit of curiosity to settle into our hearts, that we would come to our teacher, our rabbi, our king, um, just with a childlike joy and freedom to be confused, to not get it. And Father, I pray that the, the wisdom, uh, the depth of Jesus' teaching as the most brilliant human to ever walk the earth would, would just captivate our hearts and minds, would be like a fresh water as we uh, live our lives surrounded uh, in, a, in a dry desert full of, of lies and all kinds of things out in our, in our daily lives. Would we, would we drink deeply of Jesus, who is the living water? And Father, I pray that this would just be a chance to experience grace as we come to the word with whatever we have, wherever, whatever we feel, whatever is the most true thing. We feel the grace of pouring that out to you and, and receiving your fatherly embrace. In Jesus' name, amen.
you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.